Welcome to episode three. We have made it to three episodes of the Broker Collective podcast. Joining me as always, well, not as always, because when we did the emergency 99% mortgage podcast, uh, Jamie, you're under the weather. I was in a sick bed, mate. You know, viruses galore, children run rife in the household. So, yeah, unfortunately, you couldn't make that one. There's a lot of lurgy going on at the moment, isn't there? 100%. 100%. Jamie is back with us, as well as Trawlerman Lewis Shaw. Afternoon. How are we getting on? Okay. That's the hold music. We need to get the clip. We need to go, go get the clip. That's the hold music for when people call his office. <laughs> <laughs> How's uh, life on the high seas, Lewis? Yeah, decent, to be fair. It's uh, January is very busy. Uh, much busier than I expected, and February's turning out to be pretty, pretty on on the ball too. Yeah, it's good, positive, much more, much more positive start than last year. Epic. Well, that's a great place to start today's podcast. So, on LinkedIn a week ago, I put out a survey of mortgage brokers, estate agents, solicitors, anyone who was involved in property, asking them how their January has been so far. And the majority of them said that it has started off very, very well. Lewis, what type of inquiries are you seeing at the moment? Um, the majority of stuff I'm seeing is purchase, purchase activity. Although um, I am still doing, of course, remortgages, PTs, as is the par, part of the course in terms of back book, etc. I've seen a notable increase in um, remortgages where there's been a separation. I've, I've definitely seen that in January. Um, but yeah, the vast majority is, is purchase, either that be, be first-time buyers or, or movers. So a combination there. But uh, all good stuff, yeah, positive. Jamie, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to have to echo Lewis on that one, to be fair. Um, our market's very much the same as each other. It's the first-time buyers, uh, and they're definitely active in this market at the moment in time. Obviously, some deals to be had on properties, rates are... A lot more acceptable and palatable than they've been in the past at the end of the day um and then we've got an influx of remortgage stuff while deal, deals are decent we've been echoing the reason behind of securing a deal nice and early so people are still jumping in the remortgaging um so yes it's looking good that's definitely for 2024 i would thirdly echo that if that's even a term uh i think we came back the first week was a bit uh a bit slow getting started and then we had the lenders come out and chop the rates uh, and a lot of them uh, took a big uh, dive from where they were previously especially the last six months of 2023 and I think that's enticed some people and again I'm getting even uh, moving and purchase inquiries now and uh, no they're very welcome and long may they continue but we're getting all loads of other types of inquiries as well I think just the whole market seems to be invigorated. Well, let's move on then to our first topic of conversation today, which is the Bank of England base rate. As of yesterday, well, in the meeting yesterday, the Bank of England decided to keep base rates on hold at 5.25%. This was expected by most of us, 
but what we were also hearing or waiting to hear for about is the language that they used afterwards and also with the voting uh, record that they had at the meeting as well. Jamie, what do you make of the Bank of England keeping rates as they are and the outlook for rates in the UK? I think the, the decision was pretty much set in stone long before. Um, we kind of saw the 5.25 we can be held until, you know, I'm not on the committee at the end of the day. I'm not a, an expert, but until we start to see the likes of the base rate come down significantly, uh, not the base rate, sorry, inflation dip below the 2% target that's been set, I struggle to see the argument of saying inf we can bring the base rate down unless there is some uh catastrophe in other areas of job markets mass redundancies mass um insolvency data that comes out prior to reaching that target so i don't think it comes as a shock um a little bit crazy feels that two members still feel the need to hike rates um bear in mind we probably really haven't seen the full the full effect of the previous hikes really play out as of yet i still think they haven't fully tripped through um, and interesting to see that one voted to, to reduce rates as well, which I think is the first in a very long time. I, Meg, Meg, my admin, will know the exact date when the last time someone voted for a downward move, but it's certainly been some time, um, which which is promising to see as things can turn a little bit. But I think, you know, it's, there's still so much at play. Inflation isn't hit the target. We've still got issues with everyone wants to fight everyone around the world at the moment in time, which could impact the, the course of how things are going. I'd say things will look promising with the trajectory we're heading, but third-party things are at play, which could throw everything right out the water. Lewis? Yeah. <laughs> US end again. Of the US week. Again. It's the end of the week, and he's determined to play his usual what, what? games. Lewis, what do you think of the Bank of England keeping base rate at 5.25%? I thought it was quite interesting that it was a three-way split. That was a bit weird, wasn't it? Because you got two, two, uh, two voting to, to increase it to five and a half, one voting to decrease it, and then uh, six uh, remaining to, to hold. So it was interesting that, that that's quite a big divergence, um, which which is a bit odd. I, it's, it's odd that someone still wanted to increase it, even though we can see that people are struggling. I mean, think about if if they had increased it, why? Like, what positive benefit could that give us right now? Like, I mean, what's going off there? You know, I, everyone pretty much. I'm, everyone is kind of like, you know, this is hurting people. It's hurting businesses. We've seen increased insolvencies. We've seen, you know, job uh, the job market has started to slacken. That was mentioned actually in the MPC report, which I did read because I am quite sad and I didn't have anything better to do yesterday evening when I got home. Um, I'll just turn my phone off. Um, so <clears throat> I did find that a bit. Odd that people wanted to, to increase it. In fact, there was also an interesting article in The Guardian which talks about the inflation target at 2%, it, it, because apparently it stems from New Zealand. So back in the day, apparently someone went, we should have an inflation target. Someone just picked out of the air 2%, and that became the that became the, the policy. And then other central banks around the world um, accepted it. So there's no actual rational basis for why it's at 2%. So we could just agree that, okay, so it's, it's already at an okay place um so i did find that a bit a bit odd yeah i don't think the bank of england is going to do anything before the fed or other developed economies purely because of their track record so far and i think they're going to want to see a lot more 
data to suggest that a cut is needed. But considering where we've come down to double digits, although our Prime Minister and our Chancellor would love to take the benefit from that, we're only technically 2%, even though we're double the inflation target. So we are closer to home. And they did, Bank of England themselves did say they do expect inflation to maybe hit 2% uh, come the second quarter, so maybe April, May time. And if that does happen, that will be great. But it depends whether that's just a point that we hit and then we bounce back upwards. So when is your expectation of uh, the rates, uh, the base rate, when do you think that they're going to look at the base rate change? I think it's going to be uh, come June time that I think we can potentially see some movement. Um, I think it'll be May. I think we'll see the first cut in May. That's what that, I made that prediction, not based on I'm you know I'm not an economist, um, so it's just plucking it out no, of the air. But yeah, May. So, all right, Riz, chill out. Jamie, what do you think? Yeah, I might as well sit on the fence and say one or two what you've gone gone with on there. But no, I I think the plans that people mentioned uh, an early spring reduction, I think, is kind of been blown out of the water a little bit. I think that's kind of been put to bed that it won't happen that soon from commentary and the fact that inflation did come in marginally hotter last month at the end of the day. Um, so I think it's got to be around kind of that May, June time, early summer period where we may see some form of reduction. And, you know, the same refereeing, we'll caveat it with still lots of stuff at play, which could completely blow it out of the water. But if we stay on this path, I think we're, we're looking looking on track for that. That is definitely sitting on the fence. And for anybody who's listening, these are just our thoughts. These don't constitute advice, even though this podcast is designed for mortgage professionals and fellow uh, people in the industry and even the brightest, cleverest people in the world, uh, as well as Lewis, can't predict what happens in the future and get it wrong on multiple occasions. One I think person can predict it. Who can predict it? Gary. Oh, God. <laughs> Lewis is going to get a mention. <laughs> For those of you listening, Lewis seems to have somewhat of a crush slash infatuation for the uh, economist. Is he an economist? I'd call him an economist. Yeah, he's uh, Gary, Gary Stevenson, uh, an inequality economist uh, who uh, is can be found on YouTube, who Lewis loves to listen to and uh, count how many times Gary Stevenson says the word inequality. Uh, so uh, are you going to one of his book signings, Lewis, just so if he's watching this, he can have extra security ready? I am going to his book. <laughs> and I'm going, I'm going uh, on Thursday, the 28th of march which is monday thursday so it's the day before easter uh up in liverpool yeah so i'm going with my friend james who's staying in a in a hotel uh so we're going to get some food go and listen to some uh some chat from gary stevenson get his book probably get it signed if i can and uh, then ask him if he'd like to join me in bed so <laughs> oh dear all right okay let's move on to our next topic we are now talking politics. Now, they say that you shouldn't talk politics, but on the Broker Collective podcast, we don't give a Scooby-Doo. And when we are talking politics, guys, I am talking primarily about not only the upcoming election, but also about a conservative former minister near... Jamie. 
George Freeman uh, in his sub sub uh, George Freeman, former Conservative minister, on his Substack wrote that one of the reasons that he left uh, his ministerial post was because his mortgage had gone up from £800 to £2,000 per month. And on his ministerial salary, which I believe is in, in excess of £118,000 a year, he struggled with the increase. If the Conservatives' own ministers are struggling with the increase in mortgage payments that we have to unfortunately chat to clients about on a daily basis. How on earth is everybody else supposed to survive? And do you not see the irony in that play? Lewis, I'm going to come to you first. Um, <clears throat> so, well, there's a couple of things here, isn't there? One, um, he resigned from his post because he couldn't afford his mortgage. So I'm resigning from, from this higher income because I'm struggling to pay some bills. That doesn't make much sense to me, if I'm honest. Um, the second thing was that, um, I, you know, th those figures only stack up if, if, if realistically, if it's an interest-only mortgage. So it's going to be around about a half a million pound. And I'm assuming, so I, I did the figures on a half million quid at kind of 1.8% and then sticking it up to 5%. And then you get that shift from 800 to two grand so it's so it's got to be an interest only mortgage to get that kind of jump um so on the basis that it is interest only or that it that it is interest only well i thought we were told um that you know you should make plans you should prepare so if you've got kind of io deals then you know aren't you meant to have a a, a repayment vehicle in place some kind of additional savings put something away from a rainy day i mean that's what we can't we're continually told isn't it you know that's been the kind of raison d'etre of um, the kind of ideology for the last few years, you know, it's not for the state to look after people. That's a broad theme that runs through conservative um, politics, which, you know, I have some sympathy for. You can't, you know, we can't socialise all the risks onto onto society. Um, but so why, why is he crying about it? He took the, you know, it's, it's all about personal responsibility, isn't it? Don't whinge about it. You took the mortgage out, pal. You sort it out. Jamie, what do you think with regards to monthly payment rises for clients. Now, we have seen rates coming down, but they are still remarkably high from where a lot of people are coming off of when they're coming to renew their deals from some people who are fortunate to secure deals starting with a one or two rolling off currently, even if they're better than where we were in 2023, they're still significantly greater. Are you seeing that conversation still uh, be an issue with clients when you're coming to talk to people about renewals? I think the conversation certainly got easier with clients as time's gone on because they've become, you know, the, the first lot of conversations are hardest when rates after the mini budgets went astronomically high quite quickly. And we were then seeing people coming off high ones and then bang, being greeted with 6% on there as well. People panicking, rushing secure deals to because of concern they were going to go stupidly high. But the conversations with the people that land there was a lot more challenging than it is now because we've now had best parts of 18 months of this pain. Um, people are far more educated of what's going on. They've been given some time to prepare their finances and get ahead of the curve. Um, and, and we're really we've been really proactive around education on, on our social media as well. So if our clients follow us, 
we're kind of giving market commentary along the way of what we're seeing, what things are happening. So when it comes up the mortgage, it's like, yeah, we've kind of expected it's going to go up by X amount. And it's an easier conversation. Don't get me wrong. They begrudge paying more money they need to be paying at the end of the day. But it, they are far more comfortable with it than they were two years ago at the end of the day or 18 months ago. So I think it's got easier. And I think now we're on a, a downward curve with rates. I think they're, they're feeling more confident around stuff that they get something secured now but there's a chance it could come down further but at least they've got something now they can afford so i think it's a lot more positive uh, around from clients all bets are on that we have an election this year even though technically we don't need to have one till january 2025 rishi sunak himself has said that he expects it to be in the second half of the year and that's not surprising that uh, turkey does not want to vote for Christmas anytime sooner than he needs to. However, with the expectation that November might be the date, what do you think the implication on the mortgage market could be if, or let's say, shall we say, when we have a change of government? Jamie? Policy is going to be key um, with regards to interest rates um, going forward. We saw this after the mini budget, the impact that had on the markets didn't respond. They didn't like the policy. Markets responded really badly. And we saw the spike of interest rates quite quickly. So it's, we're walking a very fine tightrope of any policies that any party's going to put out there to try and win voters because it could send things in a negative way if, if the markets don't like it. You know, there is greater powers at play here, which ultimately decide where our mortgage rates are going to head head uh, head towards so and we've I, seen that before haven't we if the markets don't like it the markets don't like it you'll find out yeah. very quick 100 100 percent. and i just think that the economy is very fragile so i think everything needs to be very calculated and everything needs to be funded as well there needs to you know you can have a great idea but you need to have every I dotted and every T crossed with your rationale behind how that is plausible and where the money's going to come from at the end of the day. Because you make over over promises, you're going to fall foul of the market's not liking it, they don't believe in it. Um, and ultimately, people are seeing more, seeing through more stuff now as well, because we've been promised the world countless times and nothing materialized. Lewis, what do you think? Do you think a Labour government will radically reform the property market and lead to better options for clients on mortgage oh, yeah. funding? Oh, yeah. oh, um, no, I don't actually. No, I uh, you don't. No, no, I don't think any of them have got. Well, I, I think the, the answer, because the simple reason is, is that if you need to, if we're going to fix, if we're going to fix the housing problem, then we're going to need to have some long term patient capital investment in it, aren't we? We're going to have to have some kind of national house builder. We're going to have to have a huge social housing uh, building program in order to take the, the the steam out of the the private rental sector and insecure tenure. Um, and Labour are hemmed in by one their own fiscal rules, um, but also because there's this um, <clears throat> pernicious idea that 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 Labour go around just kind of opening the cash, opening the checkbook and spending willy-nilly. When in actual fact, if you go back and look at, which I have done, because I'm, again, I'm quite sad, but if you actually go back and look over kind of um, various Labour governments and Conservative governments all the way back to kind of 1930, Labour are more fiscally conservative than Conservatives. 
I know that's probably a bit of a shock to people, but that's that's the fact of the matter that the, the, the maths don't lie on that. Um, but there's this idea that Labour are kind of, you know, lo play play loose and easy with the economy. But in actual fact, you tend to have higher growth rates uh, under those policies. Um, that's not su to suggest that they get everything right. No, none of them do, do they? Because um, it's almost impossible to do that. Um, but I don't think they're gonna, there's going to be huge changes because they're hemmed in by one, as I say, the fiscal rules, but two, the state of the, the, the state of the current economy. What they've got very little movement. I mean, this I, I heard the uh, the thing about Labour wanting to have 25 year fixed rate mortgages, and so that's a silver bullet. Well, it's not, is it? We that's need more solve anything. We need more affordable homes in places that people want to live. Norfolk, you know, in order to to yeah, in Norfolk, in Southend. Um, and obviously the jewel in the crown, Mansfield. Um, because until we get more stock and until house price, we need house prices to level off. We need wages to catch back up. And then Do you think house prices, just to jump in there, we saw in 2023 when some lenders even thought the fall could be as much as 30%, 30% in house prices, that the market was very resilient and only came off a couple of percent, even that, if you look at a December to December uh, time period. Do you think prices are going to fall in this year, as some of your YouTube, uh, uh, your YouTube uh, people that you follow and are probably fans of think? Or do you think we're going to start seeing an increase in property? And apologies for the uh, background uh, laughter, but obviously some people are having uh, more excitement than we are at the moment. So I, I, I personally don't foresee any kind of huge house price slides or crashes. No. Um, pure, purely because um, I'm, going to have to I'm going to have to use his name again. Uh, because actually all the cash that was splashed during COVID has still got a long way to go, hasn't it? It's still got to find its way somewhere. Um, so whether that's whether that 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 COVID cash comes uh, by way of deposits for uh, wealthier people's children, whether it comes by way of people buying up uh, housing to rent out without mortgages, or whether it involves you know very wealthy families buying corporate bonds, which goes to mortgage lenders to lend out. So I can't really foresee house prices coming down too much i think they're both you know i think there's probably going to be a couple of percent but i think the broad uh you know the broad consensus is they will continue to grow because i mean there was that there was that study wasn't there out from the ms um it was this week that showed um that, that showed uh the net migration uh figures uh and then kind of predict forward predicted how um how the UK population would look in a few years' time, and there was something like in 15 years' time there'd be approximately 10 percent more, 10 uh, percent more people in the UK. So that's another 6.6 odd million people. So if we had to build homes for those, assuming that two people per house, that's an additional 110,000 houses from now for the next 15 years. On top of the problem we've already got, James, so it's like having it's like having Carol Vorderman on the freaking podcast, mate. See the maths there. Except I've got bigger boobs. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jamie's having some technical issues here. I'm uh, my, my headset won't work. And what was that? Uh, basically, I was suggest asking Lewis if anybody wants to join the Gary Stevenson fan club. Where do they write to? <laughs> Just write to write to Shaw Financial Services, uh, Mansfield Business Centre, uh, Ashfield Avenue, NG one eight two AE. 
That's NG182 Alpha X. Do they, do they have to enclose a stamped trust envelope? Oh, Remember those envelope. days. And a, a postal order for £10. <laughs> is, is that a PO box as well for, you know, so you can collect it when you come back from the I've been offshore? Yeah, yeah, when I've been, when I've been fishing, yeah. Uh, for those of you who are just joining us, uh, there is an ongoing joke that Lewis is trying to resemble a trawlerman. You may have seen him in a few films. Perfect Storm was one of them, where he <laughs> co-starred with uh, George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg. Uh, that's going to move us on to our next topic of conversation. And we are now going to be moving on to the budget. We have a budget coming up in March, and this is an opportunity for the current government to potentially have one last hurrah and trying to sweet talk the electorate and gain favour uh, with the UK population. I believe, according to a YouGov poll, and I'm trying to remember this from the article from The Independent about the 99% mortgage, I think of the under 50s, the Conservatives currently have 10% of the vote versus 60% of the Labour Party. Now, my question to you guys, and I'm going to kick this off, is what is your expectation of the budget? And secondly, what else would you do? Now, my expectation is that there are going to be tax cuts. Now, with the data that's recently come out, the expectation is, is that there isn't as much headroom as previously thought. And people at the Treasury have been informing ministers that there might not be enough that they thought previously. So that could limit potential tax incentives that could be offered, which is probably the quickest way to gain favour with the electorate. I do think, and if they don't, I think they've missed a trick. I do think there'll be some stamp duty concessions because I don't think you can get the feel-good factor back in the United Kingdom without there to being some life in the UK housing market. And I do think that that will be one of the, the things that they they throw at uh, people, purely because also, if you look at the tax revenue received, uh, there hasn't been a huge amount coming from stamp duty in 2023, surprisingly, because nobody was able to sell. Jamie, what do you think is going to come out in the budget and what do you think should be made available? Yeah, so if I stick to property, um, and this may be more of a long, again, echoes really what Lewis said earlier on, is we aren't building enough houses at the moment in time. And ultimately, there is no quick fix for that. But what we have got at the moment in time is a gaping hole left behind help from help to buy. And you can be lovers, complete haters of the scheme, but one thing you can't doubt was build houses were built during that period of time because they were selling whereas now builds are slowing up less bricks are being delivered to site which is potentially not an issue now but if the population in the uk keeps growing we keep falling short of targets of house building it's going to create an issue later down the line so whether there needs to be the hate to be the same help to buy scheme but some scheme that does incentivize get insights building again. I think we, we've had nitrate issues locally here, so it's been quite a challenge for anyone to get even planning permission around Norfolk. So I think there needs to be, from that perspective, is easy to get planning, quicker for them to get it up off out the ground, and some form of schemes to get people buying new homes so builders want to keep building on there as well. And it is a fine tightrope because 
it's private companies. They want to make profit and they make big profits when helped buyers running so they could charge more for the houses. But it's sometimes a little bit better the devil you know because at least the houses are going into the system rather than the brakes kind of firmly on in that sector. So I think there's there needs to be something around that. Obviously, you know, stamp duty holidays, an instant win. Short term, as an instant win, I think it creates more pain long term because it pushes house prices up based on previous data um and then it's, it's got to be the win the, the win younger voters has got to be some form of incentive to help them get on the house and ladder quicker so whether that's the 99 mortgage whether helped by replacement um there's got to be something seen like that because they want to feel like they own something and not just being neglected and left behind from the boomer generation where it was you know in their eyes seems so much easier to get assets and get properties i think that's the most i've ever heard jamie talk in one section before jamie do you get uh, regular data on how much nitrate there is in norfolk and also on the number of bricks that they develop to deliver to development sites <laughs> oh man i literally every developer I follow locally just constantly moans about the nitrate issues um, so <laughs> it's kind of drummed into us locally that yeah, they're not the it's not the most popular topic at the moment in time. If the it's government is delayed. listening, we need to solve the problem of nitrate in Norfolk. Get on it. Lewis. So tax wise, I'd quite like to see a cut in VAT. I'm not fussed about necessarily incomes or NI. Um, but I'd like to see a cut in VAT because I think um a lot of the hospitality industry is struggling. And VAT is, is a it's a pretty re regressive tax. Let's be honest. So I think I think if there's going to be the potential for tax cuts, rather than it just going into people's pay packets, I think it should be more about the cost of of, of things that people are buying. So that's where I that's where I'd like to see personally. Um, <clears throat> I'm I wouldn't want to see a, a stamp duty holiday. I think that just all, all that you does, wouldn't want to see a stamp duty holiday. No. No, because because realistically, all it does it, it pulls it pulls transactions out of the future and brings them into the now, doesn't it? It, it doesn't actually you live stimulate. In the well, no, but but that's what it does, isn't it? We saw that during COVID. We the reality is after we came out of COVID, after we came out of lockdown, we didn't need uh, a stamp duty holiday to get people moving. They were clamouring to move. That just turbocharged and caught, partly caused some of the problems we see now. So. I'm not a fan of, of stamp duty holidays. I think leave that alone because it doesn't act. It doesn't make people. It does make people move, but it just makes them bring it bring it forward. So then we just get this massive, mass busy period now, and then we get a lull afterwards. Um, and then there's always the cut off problems, etc. So I'd rather see it um, reflected in in the cost of stuff that people have to buy. Personally, is are those your thoughts or Gary's thoughts? No, they're my thoughts. You haven't mentioned inequality once there, so that's very impressive. All right, well, that brings us on to the final topic for today's podcast, and we're going to talk about lenders and movements and pricing and what people are doing and this, that, and the other. As we know, Virgin have recently launched their product, which allows five-year fixed rates to have a 2% ERC an early repayment charge only for two years on a five year fix. What do we think about that, guys? Jamie. Um I get the idea. 
of it. It gives people security, but pe- people the the chance to jump out of a rate if a better rate does come out or uh, at some point. But it does make you question the advice process of what we're recommending because you're either recommending to a need. The need is two years, three years, five years, whether it's how long they see themselves in the house till debts are repaid, till children reach their independency, they want to start a family, need to be earning more money in, income in the future. So to be, you know, if there's a cheaper rate and you're kind of just defaulting of we want an option to get out two years, well, you're trying to, you're in the realms of we're trying to speculate interest rates that they may be cheaper in two years time. And I want the ability to do that, which falls outside of the realms of our advice at the end of the day. So I, I question how you justify it if it's not the cheapest deal because of the, the need for the device is for the saturation. Um, you know, I get the idea and the principles of it, but I, I think it opens more cans than it solves at the end of the day. Jamie, the, I've said this a million times. My opinion is there's two ways that lenders can compete for our business. Rates, which is just a route to the bottom because nobody wants to compete with rates and it's not sustainable. The second is criteria. Now, on the criteria side, I would add innovation. We do not have, or I say we have not had, a huge amount of innovation in mortgage lending. And I think Virgin should be commended, even though other lenders have historically done this. I know the buy-to-let lenders have done this before. They should be commended of trying to change the game up a bit. And I agree with what your points are, but then conversely, the more options that are available, is that not a good thing at the end of the day where everybody's just rushing to put out a rate, get inundated, pull their rate, whack it up, get bogged down with service and just keep on going on this merry-go-round that we've been going on for, for, you know, at least 10 years that I've been broking under my own business. What do you think, Jamie? Yeah, I can, you know, I'm all for all for change, and it is just really the the idea is great in the day because it gives people peace of mind for five years. If rates get better, they can jump out as well. So from that from that side of things, it's a nice carrot at the end of the day, um, and it's different to what other people are offering. It covers it's hedging your bets really of you've got security now, a cheaper rate now, and actually you can come out of it if rates do improve. But it's just that from a broker's point of view of evidence in your advice of why to go for that over something else it does leave a few gaps in the advice process in my eyes lewis what do you think of what jamie's just said yeah broadly speaking i agree i don't, I don't like i i don't like that 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 type of innovation i'm not a fan of because we, we've we've drifted far too far in the last couple of years certainly definitely the last 18 months since the mini budget um we've drifted far too far into <clears throat> Clients, customers wanting us to speculate about interest rates. And that is not categorically, that is not our job. We don't know. Um, and even if we did know, that doesn't mean that it's still the right thing for the customer. So, for example, okay, let's say, let's let's assume that I did know categorically for some for some bizarre reason, let's assume I did know where the Bank of England base rate and swaps, gilts, and ultimately mortgage rates would be 24 months from now down to the you know down down to a, a basis point and i knew that they were going to come down by let's say 200 basis points would should that ultimately change the advice whether that customer has a two year fix or a five year fix because if they're looking to start a family they're buying a home that needs doing up 
then the chances are they're going to have a couple of mouths to feed in two years' time, or at least one. Um, they may have taken out debt. Uh, they need a new car because they've now got a, a young child. They have decided to deal with the kitchen and the bathroom. That's on a personal loan. So it could be the case that after a couple of years, yes, you know, if because I know the interest rates are going to be lower, but why is that appropriate for them? Because if they're if they're now saddled up to their eyes in unsecured debt, they've got the costs of a young child. Mum perhaps has gone part time, and then why would you do that and want them to go through the hassle of maybe having to PT, possibly being unable to remortgage when they could have had the stability and security that actually they really need? Because they've told you, we're going to buy this house, we're going to do it up, it's going to take some time, we're going to have to get some debt, we're going to have a child, we're probably going to get a new car, and we're not planning on going anywhere because this isn't the catchment for the school area. So it blurs the lines between where our role is in terms of determining what's right for them from a human point, rather than what's the best thing from a maths and economic point. And I don't like that we're, that we're edging towards that, because ultimately that one puts us on the hook because we can't call it, and therefore there's going to be a lot of people that would want to complain. But two, just because interest rates may be lower, that doesn't mean that it's still the right thing for them. Lewis, what innovation could happen in the mortgage industry in terms of products that you think would be a positive change? Um, it's a tricky one, that. Positive change. I would argue, I would argue that the real last piece of innovation in the mortgage market would be the offset mortgage that was out donkeys years ago. Is there anything else? What type of other innovation could we have in the mortgage market? It's 2024, and I find it so hard to think that this whole game is still exactly the same. If we could have been broken 20 years ago, our options would be pretty much there or thereabouts, and even 20 years probably before that. So what are the options? How can we innovate? Um, I I don't know to be fair. And 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 if I'm honest, That's I great. don't know that we need I don't know I don't know that we need to. Why? Why but because there's nothing fundamentally wrong with the mortgage market. So this whole thing of innovation for innovation's sake isn't a positive. You know, we've we've got cars that have innovated from being really, really poorly designed and, and, and quite dangerous now to where they can fly along with batteries and be very environmentally friendly and extremely efficient and quiet. And, that, and that's good innovation because it's a genuine development because it, and it makes a big difference. But ultimately, you're, 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 borrow, you're borrowing money to buy a home. It's not a comp this is the thing is it's not a complicated it shouldn't be as complicated so the innovation should probably come around through for example more efficiency uh, in terms of doing this job in terms of customers being able to access mortgages I think there's more innovation with regards to the property market in terms of with land registry with conveyancing but fundamentally I don't think there's anything wrong with mortgages because you're borrowing money to buy a house it doesn't need to be any more complicated than that Jamie we, Jamie we know you we, Jamie, we know you love an automation. What do you think that lenders, I know what he says, and I agree with a lot of what he says, land registry needs to be dragged into 2024. Parts of the conveyancing process also need to be dragged, dragged to the 2024. And that's not any hate for any solicitors or conveyancers out there before I uh, get any messages or anything like that. I think it's more the process rather than uh, the people themselves. 
what do you think needs to happen? Not from a broker point of view, because we're going to cover that in a lot of detail on future episodes, and we have already covered that. What can lenders do more, do you think? It's going to be systems, isn't it? It's going to be process. It's going to be more efficient with decision-making. Um, so you've got the likes of you know, empowered mortgages. have got They're really... Into, you know, they're trying to find their place in the market, but they've got some good tech behind them, which makes the application process really efficient to do and really quick to put an application with them. You can get a decision in principle quickly, get an answer back. A system can, a computer can underwrite a portion of the mortgage application if it's straightforward enough. Yet we still find the big, the big wigs in there with some rather cumbersome systems despite that the massive profits and there's lack of investment in there and it makes the, the process painful so i you know in one essence that is yes we can make the mortgage process quicker and more efficient and takes probably the biggest stress element out of the process for customers because they're worried about getting the mortgage we could make that efficient but that's not that's not going to speed up the house buying process at all because you get a mortgage offer in a week two weeks three weeks you're still waiting two three four five months for conveyancing to be completed so i think it will it will help the stress from buyers um definitely uh it will mean that brokers can deal with more cases if everything was more efficient but i do think there needs to be something done there's got to be more open dialogue probably between agents between conveyances and other searches third parties on there as well a lot of stuff should be probably similar to the scotland process is what I quite like is having all the searches completed prior to listing the property. So you can hand it straight over or even like when you go to auction, you've got the search pack available. It's handed straight over to your solicitor. They can hit the ground running day one. There's no to and fro in waiting for, oh, we need searches to come back before we can raise inquiries. If you've got that information available to day one, it's going to take out a big chunk of the process and get things moving. And I think the needs, I know one benefit of a housing system is you're not tied in to buying something but i would dread to think the millions of pounds wasted every year from transactions that don't complete and there's no recourse to that the amount of people that pay for legal fees book removals ready thinking they're going to complete and then last minute it's pulled out there needs to be some there needs to be something in place that makes the offer a bit more serious and a bit more risk that you need to be sure about this instead of wasting everyone's time because the amount of time that's lost every year by everyone and money lost is is money down the drain. So I think if that was ironed out, you'd get people that are more serious about properties uh, and more stuff completes and makes everything more efficient. Here's Jamie, one. what's Here's a complete one. reform of the UK property market? I think that's outside of the scope of the Broker Collective podcast, Jamie, but I don't disagree with what you're saying. Go on, Lewis, sorry. Here's, here's one. So so we have open banking, right? So why, why couldn't we, why can't we uh, integrate open banking into, um, into the process? So that when it comes to customers, uh, let's be honest, when you're doing a budget planner with a customer, how many of them know how much they spend on food and fuel? But Lewis, we've tried open banking before, haven't we? Even some buy-to-let lenders have come out and said, we're using open banking and this, that and the other. And people have had, haven't had have been happy with it or given their position. Why hasn't open banking taken off? Um, <clears throat> because of your negative attitude. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> negative. At all. I'm not negative. I'm all. Um, I'm all for tech. 
I'm all ask I'm, Jamie whenever he finds tech. I always ask him what he's got and how it works and everything. So I know and it's then, not and a negative attitude. I, I agree. no, it's not a negative attitude. I, I don't. I don't think that's correct. I am very much for open banking because it massively saves a lot of time in the whole process for brokers and lenders alike. But why hasn't it taken off? It's been around for ages. Um, because Jamie's not in charge of it. There we go. Because if if, if, if if Jamie was in charge of it, it would be linked up to Pipedrive somehow <laughs> and, would ask, and, and it would ask for a review afterwards. And then there'd be an API <laughs> and there'd be locked yeah. onto Zapier and this, that and the other. Yeah. All right, so uh, I think that's a great place to uh, leave it. If you think open banking is the way forward, then please uh, send us a message. Or if you think that you can... Oh. Don't know what happened there. If you think you can solve why open banking hasn't taken off in the UK, then please let us know. That's going to conclude today our third episode. Let's see if we make it to 10. I'm sure we will do. What have you guys got planned uh, for February? What are you guys hoping to achieve apart from as many cases in as many happy clients as possible? Go on, Jamie. You go first. Um, so tomorrow's my wife's birthday, so we'll be going out for Ooh. that. And then later on in the months, it's well, it's a busy month for birthdays because then it's my son's birthday on the twenty third, and then the, and then my mum's on the twenty fourth. So it's birthdays galore this month, which is most of my weekends now taken up. Um, but yeah, from business side of things, it's it's just all hands to deck at the moment, just getting stuff in as quickly as possible. Um, but I think it's, we're, we're shaping up for a good year for twenty twenty four. I think we can continue like this. I agree with you. I think this is going to be a cracking year. I think there'll be a lot of clients who will uh, definitely benefit from our services. There was already some data recently that I think the number of transactions involving brokers was up to 90%. So uh, I think uh, a lot of people view and value this, the benefit that we bring with our expertise and our knowledge so I think 2024 is lined up to be a good one. I don't think it's cranked up yet. I think it'll crank up in the next couple of months. Lewis? Um, well, obviously, getting as much business on the books as possible goes without saying. Let's go. Um, let, let's go. <laughs> um, what else is happening? Who's going to carry the boats? Um, they so, don't know me, son. In fact, I'm off to, well, I'm off to London on Sunday to the... Sit Barbican. outside Gary Stevenson's house. No, no. So I'm going to I'm going to the Barbican to watch the London Symphony Orchestra with another broker, um, Martin Stewart of London Money. We're going to watch uh, the LSO play some Sibelius, uh, Sibelius, uh, Sibelius's second symphony, and a bit of Beethoven as well. Um, and I'm hoping he takes me out for some posh lunch. What what constitutes a posh lunch, Lewis? <sighs> well, one where I don't have to put my hand in my in the pocket, and it's ideally got napkins. <laughs> Anything other than fish and chips, then for you, yeah, yeah. And, not, and not wooden or plastic forks, yeah, yeah. Oh, happy days! All right, guys, it's been great seeing you again. And for those listening or watching, thank you very much for joining us on the Broker Collective podcast for brokers by brokers. Now, we're recording these every two weeks, but we will shortly be having on guests to join us to debate all things happening in the mortgage and property world. So if you have any suggestions or ideas of who you would like to hear or see on the podcast, then please drop us a line and get in touch. The Broker Collective is not the three of us. The Broker Collective is the whole 
of the broker community united together to get things done for clients and to help shape and improve our industry. We also have t-shirts, which although I have had them printed and they've been sitting in my house for the last God knows how months, many months, I will be forwarding to these guys and we will have merch as well. So there's a lot to look forward to and it will be a very positive 2024. But for now, thank you very much for joining us. Take care.